So if you would, remain standing for the reading of God's holy word and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, for context, I will begin reading in verse 13. We continue our study of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Praise God for his holy word. Please be seated. So for the last 12 weeks, we have been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And these great words that Jesus spoke to his disciples, we need these words upon our hearts. We learn so much from these words. How we as God's children are to live. And how we as God's children will live as a result of God's mercy and grace. We see clearly from these words that the imputed righteousness of Christ produces a life that pleases the Lord. There, there is nothing around that. When, when Christ saves a sinner, that sinner is sanctified and they will live to the praise of the glory of God. We find that the inward motives of man... The matters of the heart, as well as man's outward conduct and works, their attitude, they are all changed by the Lord. How wonderful it is that the working of God is inward and outward as a result of salvation. Becoming a child of God brings about a holy life. The last two weeks, Blake clearly preached that you are the salt of the earth, that you are the light of the world if you have been purchased by the blood of Christ. Charles Spurgeon declared, Whenever there is faith in Christ, there is light. For Jesus himself said that those who follow him would not walk in darkness. Genuine faith in Christ turns a person from darkness to marvelous light and transforms him into light in the Lord so that the light pours forth from the windows so as to be seen by others. The believer is appointed to be a lighthouse to others, a cheering lamp, and a guiding star. His light will be increased as he learns more of Christ. He will be able to impart more instruction to others when he has received more. But even while he is a beginner, his faith in Jesus is in itself a light. If we pause and just think about those words, how wonderful it is to be saved by God's grace. That Christ has made his children salt and light. 
Today's verses continue the Sermon on the Mount, and they begin a four-week study on the high importance of the Holy Scriptures. The next four weeks, you will not hear of man's opinions concerning the Scriptures, but you will hear from God himself what he has breathed out concerning his own word as we look at Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. This week, verse 17, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. The fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Next week, verse 18, the importance of the law. The importance of the law. Week 3, verse 19, the teaching of the law. And week 4, verse 20, the light of the law. In the words of R.C. Sproul, distortions happen not because there is something wrong with the clarity of the word of God, but because there is something wrong with us. We come to the Bible with our minds clouded by sin. We must resist the temptation to read into the Bible something that is not there or try to use a Bible, as Luther said, as a waxed nose that we can twist to support our own biases and prejudices. There is nothing wrong with the clarity of God's Word. If contradictions seem to exist, the problem is not the Word of God. The problem is us. To say it more bluntly than Sproul did, sin makes us stupid. And it clouds our minds. Therefore, when we approach the Word of God, we must not come with our thoughts about who God is or about what He would or would not do. We need to allow the Word of God to teach us everything that we are to believe. In any good small group or any good Sunday school class, You will never hear the words, what do these verses mean to you? To be frank, I don't care what they mean to you. You should hear, this is what these verses say in context, and this is what they teach us based upon the word of God alone. May the Lord, by his grace this morning, remove the clouds in our mind as we study what Christ himself says about his own word. Matthew 5, verse 17 the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So point number one is Jesus approves of the law and the prophets. Jesus approves of the law and the prophets. Every generation needs to properly understand God's word. And each generation has its own struggles, assumptions, battles and blind spots. Therefore, a complete study of what God has breathed is required if holy lives are to be lived in every generation. Even a few weeks ago, I was encouraged by Jeremy. As Jeremy says, I don't know what you've thought about reading through the Bible in a year, but I encourage you that as God's children, we should be familiar with all that what God has breathed. We have our own struggles, our own assumptions, our own battles that we have to face. We have own things that we've heard in our homes, own things that we've heard from friends and which may or may not be accurate based upon the Word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is to be fulfilled in every home. The passing on of God's Word by father and mother to their children. Deuteronomy 6, 4-9, through 9, the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall walk of, talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Loving the Lord involves loving his word and passing on of his word to others. The word of God is to be upon our hearts the Word of God is to be taught diligently to our children. Parents, that's not being accomplished by dropping off your children in Sunday school. Sunday school is absolutely wonderful, but your children need other, and they need other teachings brought by other adults in this church because they have been gifted to do those things. But they first need you as a parent to lay the foundation in the home. Children need to hear the word in the home first, then at church. The Lord is to be discussed as a family, as you sit, as you walk, as you lie down, and when you rise. This should happen when it is convenient and when it is not convenient. Every season is a good season to talk about the Lord. The word of God is to be cherished, it is to be hidden in our hearts, it is to be displayed in our homes, it is to be kept in front of our eyes as a reminder of who God is and how we as his children are to live. The teaching and training of our family is to occur and the textbook is the Bible. And if you're not teaching your family, I promise you somebody is. As we move forward from Deuteronomy chapter 6 to the New Testament, we find that Deuteronomy 6 has not been laid aside by God. Just because the Son of God has arrived in Matthew 5, verse 17, it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. The Greek words do not think are extremely strong words of absolute denial. Jesus is saying, basically, do not think for one moment in your mind or in your hearts that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. These words teach us two great truths. Truth number one, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come. The promised Messiah, Christ, has come to this earth, his creation. At this moment, right now in 2013, we are looking... 2013? 2023, we are looking back at the work of Christ, resting in the finished work that saves sinners. We're not waiting for the Messiah to come and save. We are waiting for his return, and we are waiting for him to judge. Our hope is upon Christ as we wait, and we gather together as the local body to, to worship the Lord. We study his word. We sit under teaching and preaching of what God has breathed. We remain involved in the ordinances of the church and all of his commands. We encourage one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, but Jesus Christ, as Son of God, has come. Great truth number two is that Jesus Christ, as Son of God, did not come to abolish the law or the prophets. Just because Christ has come, we don't take the law and the prophets and we throw them out. We must not look at the Old Testament and declare, this is of no use to us. The law and the prophets have been approved by Jesus Christ, and what Jesus Christ approves, we are to embrace. If we don't as individuals understand the Old Testament, we cannot rightly understand the full meaning of the New Testament. In fact, this is how many false religions get started. In the words of Odie Bauckham, Jesus did not change everything when he arrived. The furniture in the temple is the same. It has not been removed. He just turned the lights on. 
Jesus showed up and he turned the lights on. We have all most likely heard the following words said before. The God of the Old Testament is different than that of the New Testament. The Old Testament is of no use to us. Just read the New. We are under the New Covenant. Ignore the Old. Or, we don't need the Old Testament. Just read the New Testament words, especially the words that are in red. The opinions of man are just that. They are opinions. We as God's children must look at what God has said and let his words instruct us of what we are to believe. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now when Jesus uses the words law and prophets, he is collectively speaking of all of the Old Testament scriptures. Genesis through Malachi, all 39 books. He is sitting on the mountain announcing to his disciples that he approves of the law, he approves of all the Old Testament prophets, and that he is not going to abolish them, he is not going to dissolve them, he's not going to throw, overthrow them, he's not going to destroy them, he's not going to throw them away. Jesus is saying to his disciples with great clarity, as I am teaching you, know that I approve of what the scriptures say. That was so very important because as the disciples are gathered and other people are listening, as the Pharisees were looking on and the Jews were looking on, they were puzzled by what Jesus was doing and saying, and yet Jesus is saying, no, no, I approve of the Old Testament. If we look at the satellite view of the Sermon on the Mount, this is what we find. The eight Beatitudes reveal the character of God's children. Salt and light are the function of God's children. And verses 17 through 20, where we're going to be the next four weeks, this is the foundation for God's children. This sermon that Jesus preached is so important. The character, the function, the foundation of those who are his. When Jesus showed up, his teaching was not against the Old Testament scriptures. He didn't lay aside the scriptures, nor was his teaching different than the Old Testament prophets. He was teaching the same things with clarity and proper explanation. Jesus showed up. The temple is here. The furniture is present. And he turns the lights on. He approves of the law and the prophets, and he teaches the right thinking as well as the correct attitude behind them. And many, many, many had the wrong thinking and they had the wrong attitude when they were looking at the law. The Jews took the Torah, for example, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and they walked away with 613 commands. We have 613 commands in which we need to follow, which we need to address. They were discussing the letter of the law while ignoring the important matters of the law. I have found in my life at many times that I can major on the minors, which is not a bad thing, but I can major on the minors to the extreme that I ignore the majors altogether. This sermon by Christ, it brings great clarity. Christ did not come to abolish or destroy the law or the prophets. He approves of the law and the prophets. Point number two is that Jesus Christ fulfills the law and the prophets. All the Old Testament laws, all the Old Testament prophets, like that of John the Baptist, they served and existed to point to Christ. John the Baptist shows up on the scene. He is a man who dressed differently, ate differently, looked differently. 
And everyone came out to see him and to hear his words. They all do the same thing. They were pointing to Christ. To say that the law and the prophets are fulfilled in Jesus is to say that they find their fullest meaning in Jesus. The law and the prophets are about him and he fulfills them. Jesus fulfills them in that he perfectly follows them in all aspects, inward and outward. And Jesus brings out the full meaning, the right attitude and meaning of the law and the prophets. That Christ is God, fully God and fully man, perfect and without sin. The perfect righteousness of Christ fulfills the law and the prophets. Christ fulfills them. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. The Old Testament scriptures, the prophets, all of history, it is pointing to that of Christ. We were reminded in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, He, being Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So Christ fulfills the law and the prophets in every aspect without question. The words fulfill them ultimately point to the atoning work of Christ on the cross. I love the words of James Montgomery Boyce. He said, the Bible is about Jesus And he is its fulfillment in all ways. He fulfills the moral law by his obedience, the prophecies by the specifics of his life, the sacrificial system by his once and for all atonement. This is the part of what Paul means in Romans 10 verse 4 when he calls Christ the end of the law. If we read the scriptures and we miss Christ or read the scriptures and ignore the Old Testament, we don't understand and we must understand what God has left us. If we think that Christ was teaching something new and not confirming the Old Testament scriptures or the Old Testament prophets, we are wrong. Martin Luther said, what the gospel or the preaching of Christ brings is not a new doctrine to undo the law, but as Paul says in Romans 1 verse 2, the very same thing that was promised beforehand through the prophets in the scripture. So Christ came to turn the lights on and show the direction of the law as well as the direction of the prophets. Isaiah 42, verse 21, The Lord was pleased for the righteousness' sake to magnify his law and to make it glorious. So all the Old Testament, all of the law, and the prophets were pointing to, leading to, preparing the way for Christ. So let's take a quick, and I mean extremely quick journey really fast. Genesis 3, verse 15, you you know it. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is, what is this referring to? This is referring to Christ. Sin has entered the world. I will provide for you a savior. So in Genesis, it's about Christ. Genesis 22, 17 and 18. I will surely bless you. How will I bless you? 
through Christ. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand in the sea on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. The promise of Christ continues. Psalm 22, you have the crucifixion of Christ completely laid out in the Old Testament because it's about Christ. Isaiah chapter 53, you have the life of Christ on display for all to see. This is what's going to happen. The sun is going to come. The sun is going to be crucified. The sun is going to rise. We have everything we need in the Old Testament pointing to Christ. Even Malachi chapter 4, the last chapter before the 500 years of silence, you have the coming of Christ in Malachi 4. All of the Old Testament is pointing to Christ. The Old Testament scriptures have been preserved for us by God. They are a blessing. They are needed by God's children. And, and if we are going to understand what Christ teaches, we dare not throw them out. The Apostle Paul said to his spiritual son, Timothy, before his death, speaking of the Old Testament scriptures in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. So all scripture is breathed out by God, old and new. All scripture is profitable for teaching every single Verse. Even in the reading of this person lived and this person died, this person lived and this person died, we are convicted that we're all going to live and we're all going to die. All scripture is profitable for teaching. All scripture is profitable for correction, for reproof, for training and righteousness. We need the scriptures, every iota of what God has breathed, for beliefs, absolutely and amen, and for practice. The scriptures along with the spirit are needed for complete equipping and doing good works and living holy lives before the Lord. One of the things that the Reformation brought about was brought about a return to many things. One of those returns was to that of sola scriptura. Well, what does sola scriptura mean? I'll allow the 1689 to instruct us. The holy scriptures are the only sufficient certain and infallible rule for saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence give such clear testimony to the goodness, the wisdom, and the power of God that they leave people without excuse, yet they are not sufficient to give the knowledge of God and his will that is necessary for salvation. Therefore, it pleased the Lord to reveal himself at various times and in different ways and to declare his will to his church to ensure the preservation and propagation of the truth and to establish the support of the church against human corruption, the malice of Satan and the world, he committed his complete revelation to writing. The Holy Scriptures are therefore absolutely indispensable for God's former ways of revealing his will to his people have now ceased. So if someone comes up to you and says, I have a word for you, you respond by saying chapter and verse. When scripture is not our authority for faith and practice, if we elevate men, women, traditions, or the church itself, if we elevate a pastor, we are in error, abandoning what God has breathed and its great prophet. 
If you believe in the inspiration and inerrancy and fallibility of the scriptures, this is great. But you also must believe that they are sufficient or you undo everything else. That God's word is enough. Not just the New Testament scriptures, also the Old Testament scriptures. It is helpful for us to look at the scriptures this way. Number one, Christ spoke in the Old Testament at a distance through the law and the prophets of his coming. And then number two, Christ spoke in the New Testament when he came, accomplishing all that he promised. In 1 Corinthians 15, I have found much joy in this this past year. I, I have finally, after nine years of setting out scripture for the church to memorize, I made enough discipline and time in my life to memorize 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. I know if I say that and then I don't try to quote it, I'll be in big trouble, but I also know I'll probably get a little bit nervous and mess it up. So now I'll remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you and which you received, by which you were seeing saved. If you hold fast to the word of God, I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and raised on the third day in accordance to the scriptures. And then he appeared to many brothers, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. I think I messed that up right there. More than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, those some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to the apostles. And last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Though I am unworthy to be called an apostle by the grace, but I am apostle by what I am, but the grace of God, I am what I am. But his grace to me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether it is I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Even in 1 Corinthians 15, as Paul was struggling and talking to a church that was massively going through hard times, he still called them a church and he reminded them of what is of first importance. That Jesus Christ fulfills the law and he fulfills the prophets. Going back to verse 17, it is crucial in our understanding of the scriptures. And because of the truth in, verse, in this verse, I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Look at verse 18. He says, because I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Verse 18, not an iota will pass away. Verse 19, don't relax the commandments of God. Do them and teach them. Verse 20, the law lights up the truth that only the righteousness of Christ Saves Because if your righteousness doesn't exceed that of the scribes or the Pharisees, you will never enter heaven. If you go back a chapter to Matthew chapter 4, we find the temptation of Christ. When Christ was tempted by the devil, he responded by saying, it is written. He didn't abolish it. He pointed to the truth of what has already been said. Christ quoted Deuteronomy 8, Psalm 91, and Deuteronomy chapter 6. Christ did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. In Matthew 22, Jesus speaks of the law. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together as one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test Jesus. That's always good. Sometimes we think about this, we're like, I cannot believe this guy tested Jesus. You and I do this all the time. We come before the Lord and we test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? 
He said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. So Christ showed his children how to live righteous lives. Christ kept the law perfectly, giving the correct teaching, the correct attitude behind that of the law and the prophets. And he summed up the law with two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. For on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And if you fast forward a little bit, and I don't want to get too much into this because we'll get to it in week four. He says, if your righteousness does not exceed that of the scribes or the Pharisee, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Exactly, that's the point. None of us have ever loved the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Never for one second or one iota. That's never occurred. That's the great commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So what's the answer? Even the law and the prophets, it was pointing to Christ. In the New Testament, Christ shows up and he's pointing to himself saying, I am the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Christ shows us how to live righteous lives. And for us to be righteous, we need Christ. Romans 15, verse 4, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. As Paul is speaking about this, he is speaking about that of the Old Testament. Through endurance and through the encouragement that we have in the Scriptures, in the Old Testament, that we might have hope. The Old Testament Scriptures are absolutely a blanket of comfort, and they are fulfilled in Christ. John Stott declared, acceptance with God is not through obedience to the law, but through faith in Christ. And indeed, that the law itself bears witness to this good news. In John chapter 5, beginning in verse 39, Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. That, that's what the Jews thought. I have the scriptures. I'm following all of these laws. I'm good. And Jesus says, you think that in the scriptures you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. In other words, he's saying, you don't have life because you don't have Christ. 2 Peter 1, 19-21. And we have something more sure the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus Christ, he fulfills the law and the prophets. He himself is the intended goal of the law and the prophets. And he provides the complete meaning of the law and the prophets. So Jesus Christ, he approved of the law and the prophets. And Jesus Christ fulfills the law and the prophets. So the questions for us in evaluation our life, because I absolutely believe this, anytime the word of God is read in Sunday school, taught in Sunday school, read or preached from the pulpit, we need to hold up our life to the word of God and match it. We need to examine our own life. Are we submitting ourselves to what God has breathed? If you're not reading it, you're not submitting to it. If the word 
Like, if we really believe the scriptures are breathed out by God and they're preserved for us, if you're saying that you never have a desire to hear God talk, there's a major problem there. You have a major problem. Maybe you're saying, well, I don't like to read. I'm sorry. That's not an excuse before a holy God. Are you submitting yourself to what God has breathed? Is your standard the word of God or is your standard the opinion of men? We should be in Acts. We should examine the scriptures to see if it is so. We should be good Bereans. Our standard is the word of God. It's not the opinion of men. Is the word of God where you look for your belief as well as your practice? Is the word of God where you look for your belief and for your practice? Especially this morning, if you are a parent, you have little children or you have teenagers in your house that are looking to you to see if your belief matches that of your practice. God didn't abolish the law, and he did not abolish the prophets. Therefore, the question should be asked of us, are we faithfully clinging to what God has said, and are we faithfully thinking about loving, cherishing, and obeying his great commands? Christ comes and he brings perfect clarity. He fulfills. The question is, is Christ your hope? Is Christ your treasure? For many of us this morning, we really need to look at our life and examine ourselves. We really need to ask ourselves, how important is the word of God compared to everything else in my life? The word of God should be first and foremost, it should be greater than any human relationship that you have with somebody else on this earth. We should hide God's word in our hearts so that we will not sin against a holy God. We should know the commands of God. We should know the law of God, the moral law. We should, we should have the Ten Commandments memorized. We should be working through letters of the Bible, books of the Bible. We should be studying what God has, has breathed because we care so much about what God has said because now he doesn't speak the same way that he spoke. It, it's, it's greater for us. We have the Holy Spirit, yes, but, but what we have is like God's word preserved for us so we can, from generation to generation to generation, we can know what God has breathed out and preserved for us. Because if we are not in the word of God, we know that we are being conformed to the things of this world. We are doing things that the world does even when you are in the word of God, that's still a struggle because our flesh is battling our spirit. I thought about that this weekend as I was driving around, going from place to place and thinking about my thoughts or my desires or my, my things that I wanted in my life. And I said, how does this match up to the things of the Lord? How does this match up to the things of eternity? Because I can't just come in this pulpit and preach a sermon about cherishing the word of God if I myself am not cherishing it. Look at your life, examine yourself. Over the next three more weeks, we're going to be looking at God's word, looking at the high importance of what God says about his own word himself, what he says about true righteousness. And so take this time, look at your life, make some changes. Not because it's the right thing to do, Make some changes because you want to please the Lord.
Father, I thank you for your holy word. You yourself have breathed out and said it is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness that your children may be competent and equipped for every good work. What a great reminder that even after salvation, this life is not about us. This life is about you. And that we as your children are to live to the praise of your glorious grace. We as your children are to not abandon the law and not abandon the prophets, but to realize that you have fulfilled them and we are to keep them for your glory. Lord, help us as your children to not be conformed to the things of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that by testing we may discern your will, what is good and perfect. Lord, we need even just a reminder that your will is good and perfect, that this life is not about us. So, Lord, by your grace, break down our strongholds, break down the sin which easily entangles, break down areas in our life in which we are making it about us and we are not making it about you. Lord, we need your help. If your spirit does not do this, we will have no lasting change. Do a work that can only be explained by you. And may we, we as your people, respond with great humility and give you all the praise and give you all the glory. It's in the name of Christ we pray and ask these things. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.